Listen, you wanna you wanna <laughs> I wanna upgrade you. I know, you keep saying okay. you keep saying it and we keep asking people for money at the end of the shows to help me upgrade and then well, we, so they're gonna start asking questions soon. <laughs> What's Brad doing with this money, you know? They're like Benny sounds good, he sounds better than the guests. What's the problem? Yeah, what's going on? It's because Brad had too many $8 Manhattan lattes or whatever happens there. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever you people do. (laughs) That's right. I said you people. I actually did did have a a coffee from a vendor outside of my home today. Nice. I had to go pick up a rental car, so I got an iced coffee up there. What are you, heading heading up to the country? Uh, at some point, no, no definite plans. We just got a, I just got a car for like the month. Oh, really? We're thinking about buying one. Yeah, you were saying that a while ago. Wow. What's your dream car? Like if you had no, say you had a New York City parking spot and whatever, and no, and money is not an option. What, what car do you get? Do you go vintage or new? For like realistic for the family, for me, give me one of each. Give me, give me realistic, and then give me like midlife crisis dream car kind of deal. Realistic for the fam, um, probably like a midsize SUV, something sensible, or maybe okay. if, maybe if, if really if money's not an option, maybe a three seater. I feel yeah, you're not, not going to go Escalade or something. Th- uh, no, that's too big, dude. That's gross. <laughs> that's gross. Maybe like a nice compact. I know, I drove a Subaru, what's the bigger one, but not the massive one. Not a Forester. The Outback? No, maybe it was a Forester. It was pretty comfy. Didn't have seats. I I feel like as a New Yorker, my my carbon footprint is so low that if I want to get a big car, it's okay. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that works. But I guess okay. And my, what's, your, my, what's your dream? My dream, my really. I mean, I I don't know. You've heard me talk about motorcycles. There was a point when I owned two beautiful motorcycles oh, before right. I got married. Yeah. Sure. I would love to have a fucking a new Moto Guzzi, and the balls what's that? That's to like take a race, like a race bike. No, nah, it's. I mean, no, more like a cruiser. Guzzis are kind of like they're big. They're big V twin engines. They're kind of the Italian version of like a Harley, but they're so much nicer. Because I don't, I'm not uh-huh. a Harley guy. I don't like Harleys. Um, and Guzzis are obviously a little sportier. Would you full on leather up? Yeah, I yeah. when I rode, I I always I wore I did wear leather. I I was very safety conscious. I wouldn't ride. I would wear boots pretty much yeah. all the time. And we- and leather when I c- – I mean, obviously, you can't always wear leather, dude. But if I was going on a long road trip, like on the highway, fuck yeah. I've, I laid it down yeah. a few times, dude. Did you? Yeah, I've you had been bad on my ass. The worst was um, – oh, the scariest was like – it was late. I was coming back from New England. This was on, a, on my little bike. I had an interceptor. And like right as you're coming – Across like 95, right the last exit before you cross over the GWB into Jersey. Yeah, it's the right. very last exit. It's a sharp right turn, and I came around that. Yeah, corner. it's to get to get onto the Hudson Highway. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there was a fucking oil patch. Oh, and I just goodness. the bike just went right out from under me, and like the bike was sliding, and like Ooh. you know that like slow motion time, like. Yeah. And I'm sliding on my back thinking, like, the instant Ugh. that I stop moving, 
I have to jump up and get the fuck out of the way because somebody is going to come flying around that corner. There's no visibility right there because it's it's a sharp right, but there's like yeah. it goes around a building. And right. I was like, yeah. there's no. So I like oh. I literally kind of leapt up while I was still sliding, and my bike was like sliding off the road. Kept and I, going. And I get off to the side of the road, and immediately cars start coming, and nobody fucking stops. Yeah, and I dude, fucking finally like oh tore God. off my helmet and held it up like a club. I'm like, stop your fucking car so I can get yeah. my bike because I oh otherwise God. I would have got fucking run over, man. Yeah, <laughs> that's a crazy exit because that's the exit too where like people have been stuck on the Cross Bronx Expressway for like yeah four and a half hours yeah. and or then whatever they fly just off happened, it, right? and then they get to the Hudson. They're like, let's go, dude. That's exactly. You know? I envisioned yeah. some motherfucker coming around that corner. <laughs> yeah, and there was no way. And if I couldn't have stopped, like, because there was oil, like, they would have fucking. I could have been dead. That could have been it, yeah. Benny. That might have been my. That was no my going credit. off track. Where that was would I my be one. Today? Like you know, I don't have nine lives. I have one, and that was it. I used it. That was it. That was the one. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you made it. Yeah, but uh, I don't know if I could I'm, ride bikes anymore. Not with kids. I just feel like yeah. I, I owe I owe more than that. I'm at that point now where it's like if I bought or got on a bike now, like how many ways can you scream midlife fucking crisis? <laughs> what about guy, me, dude? No, you you had one. You have like a right. history. It's like it's right. like if I was like, oh, you know, I'm going to start doing this thing I used to be into doing, but. If you have never ridden right. a bike in your right. life, it'd be like me getting tattoos now. Yeah, it's like, come on, the ship is sailed. It's like, <laughs> it's like me starting to do like cocaine now. You know, like you, certain <laughs> things, you just you know, you know, let it go. You yeah. just let it go. I might do very heavy drugs as an old man. That's the like, fantasy, right? Yeah, like Alan Arkin. Yeah, yeah, like Alan Arkin and Little Miss Sunshine. Just you know, keep it, keep it together during the day. But yeah. once the door closes at night. Ah, fuck it. I'm going to do heroin and watch some weird movies. Oh, yeah, know. dude. <laughs> Sounds great. <laughs> that's my retirement plan. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's positive. So <laughs> we just had a great interview with Laura Stevenson. Oh, uh, so good. Who I didn't say it in the interview, but Laura, I truly revere as an artist. I think she's awesome. Yeah. And I think she's like, I hear some of the artists these days you know, a few years ago, like Alana Del Rey and like, you know, Phoebe Bridgers, who's great. I think she's great, you know, just getting so much love. And I'm like, yo, Laura's got all these records and she's been here doing this kind of before all of you, you know? <laughs> so, so, but it, she's in that wheelhouse though, where like, I think her records, especially her last record are just so good that, you know, great songs last and right. they're going to stick around. And I think she has nothing but a upward trajectory going for her for the rest of for the rest of however long she decides to play music. If we ever play music again, the, the great it's, caveat. It's going to happen, <laughs> but, man. Yeah. It'll happen. But uh, yeah, I was so happy to have her on. She's such a delight to be around. Like one of the funnier people I've ever toured with. She'll yeah. just oh, lay yeah. it on you. You're just cracking up. I mean, honestly, you know. I'm one of those guys who, you know, in a quiet room, it's my instinct to like say something funny or like to just improve the feeling right. of the room. Touring with Antarctica Vespucci with Jeff Rosenstock, Chris Farron and her and John even is like I've never gotten to just like sit back and just be like, oh, <laughs> this is hilarious all the time. And I don't have to do anything right. like I've never just gotten to be like a spectator to hilarity like that. And it oh, was yeah. 
such a delight. Like you get in the van every day and just wait. Just wait for the... I can only imagine the three yeah, of them together, man. Really fucking funny, man. Um, but yeah, this was a fun interview and great skill to her to manage to secretly breastfeed <laughs> on us for like 15 minutes yeah. without us even knowing. That was so cool. <laughs> she's a new mom and she, she's already real sly about it. Good for her. So I guess that's a game that anybody listening can play. Try to find the point in the interview in which Laura starts breastfeeding. I bet you can't. I don't. Bet I you didn't can. notice. She's smooth. I did she's not smooth. notice. And we got four kids between the two of us. We've seen <laughs> this. <laughs> That's awesome. That was so much fun. Let's 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 get into it. Let's do it. It's going That's like really where it stops for me. I'm like, oh, okay. My computer doesn't like it. Now I don't know what to do. End of the road, unless there's like a tutorial video on YouTube. Yeah, it's not it, gonna actually, happen. that might—that's even a little too far, probably. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know if I would do that much. I gotta get—I gotta get Benny a headset mic. He moves around too much. He's a drummer. He doesn't get a uh, chance yes. to move around. So he's got all that kinetic drummer energy. Yeah. Oh fuck! Is this gonna start <laughs> some cool guitar player drummer bashing? There can never—there can never be too much of it, Benny. Uh, it never ends. We've suffered. We've suffered too long. Wait, wait, wait. Who suffered? The Excuse guitar players. Me? What <laughs> under have the you dictatorship? From? The dictatorship of the good drummer. Yeah, uh, you're calling all the shots. What's the tempo? I don't know. It's up to you. I've been staring at you people's butts, having you're you make having you make me deaf for the last like 25 years. Listening. Do you know how many? noodles i've heard in my life <laughs> like someone just playing around with like a new pedal or a new mm. amp or a new part like Wait a i'd minute. say about 90 percent of the guitar i've heard in my life which is a lot of guitar wasn't even a part wasn't even a song it's just you people being hyper obsessed with making weird noises <laughs> so it doesn't it's like you're not in my bloody valentine all of you you know just play a fucking chord so is that why most drummers don't listen to what's being played because they they don't want to hear noodling. Listen, we've had this conversation a lot. I'm not going to sit here and say all drummers are musicians. They're not. Some guys are bangers. Some ladies are bangers. They just hit stuff. They hit it in time. And they don't really understand the rest of the concept going on. I know those people exist. But I'm not going to speak for them because you know I'm not one of them. I know you're not. Sorry, oh, great, great way to get me started here, Brad. <laughs> I'd like to get you warmed his, up, baby. His blood pressure's through the roof. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm angry. I just threw that blue Yeti that didn't work. Right. It's gone. Walk it off. Walk it off. <sighs> hey, Laura. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Feel pretty good. Got some sleep last night. Slept probably like seven hours whoa that's intense yeah. so i usually yeah. start this off by just being like hey you know like how's your quarantine been but you've had a particularly interesting quarantine <laughs> so how old was your newborn when like the shit hit the fan um i was about a week before i gave birth you when the shit really started right. to hit the, the fan so yeah when 
when I was in the hospital, we were in like a birth center that was adjacent to a hospital. So right. like we were still like fucking terrified. And sure. every cart that came through the door, I was like, was that in the main hospital? Right. Like yeah. the anesthesiologist worked in the hospital that came in and gave me an epidural, even right. though I like loved him afterwards. But like before <laughs> it, I was really afraid. Yeah. Um, but like, so yeah, we were, we were about a, a couple weeks from my due date when we were like talking about inducing labor because I knew that all this shit was like brewing right, and I was like, like the sooner the we precipice. get this baby out yeah like the better we can get her home and they were like really trying to talk me out of it and they were like just let the baby come when the baby comes but she wouldn't have come for another probably like three weeks had we waited and then it could have even been scarier so uh, yeah yeah so we we were uh yeah I induced labor and we had to decide if it was like better to wait because then you're maybe in the hospital for a way shorter period of time. Like right, if you let right. the baby come naturally, you can labor at home. Sure. And I had hired a doula. Is this boring? No, 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 no. <laughs> okay. Not for us, no, not. maybe for the audience, but Penny and I yeah, are right no, no, no. there with you, man. <laughs> this is, I'll, this... I'll try to add some rock and roll to <laughs> No, this, this is too. way better than most people have been starting this like, yeah, I'm just kind of sitting at home and I like wake up late and I'm like kind of bored and sad like that's been most people so no this is far more interesting okay cool yeah Yeah, so we we hired this doula and I was like so excited to just like have you know as close to you know the birth that I wanted or was planning for so what was was your birth plan a natural birth yeah yeah I wanted to do unmedicated and I wanted to labor at home but I still wanted to go to the birth center and like I had a bunch of midwives that I had met that were part of like the the provider that was covering us that worked at the birth center so like it was it seemed like it was gonna go great and then like (laughs) as things were getting closer you know Mike and I were talking about like inducing and you know weighing weighing the odds because if if you weren't were to just go natural then yeah, you're you're gonna be in the hospital for like maybe twenty four hours if yeah, you play sure. it really right. Um, but then, you know, as time was going on, it was like, okay, but then that's gonna be happening and there's gonna be more cases and there's gonna be more sick right. people in the hospital and like yeah, yeah. blah blah blah. But then also if you induce it could take a really fucking long time and then, you know, you might end up needing a C section, which would require three extra days right, in the sure. birth center. So like I could have been there for a week. Yeah. So that was like fucked up. So we were just like, okay, let's just get the baby out now. And we decided to, and it ended up being awesome because they gave me like, they give the, they give you this thing called Cervidil. I don't know if you've heard of it, but it's like a, it's supposed to like get your cervix ready before they give you yeah. the Pitocin to like actually start the contractions. Okay. And after they gave me the Cervidil, um, I, my water broke and then oh, okay. like 24 hours later we had the baby. Oh, so perfect. So it was sick. Maybe yeah. they were ready. They were ready anyway. <laughs> Yeah, so, yeah. She was ready to come out. <laughs> so what what week did you actually deliver at? It was the 22nd of March. Okay. Wow. Yeah. So when you yeah. were in the hospital, what was, or the birthing center, like, what, did you guys have to be masked? Did Mike have to be masked? Was he even allowed, like, in the room? Like, I'm sure the, what what was going on at the time in the hospital? Well, the, um, okay, so it was, like, right before they were, only allowing the mothers to be there. Oh, okay. Um, so, like, the you were still allowed to have one birth partner. So we couldn't have our doula. 
Um, but I called her like when my epidural started like pooling on one side of my body and I was like, I could feel my entire right side of my body and like the contractions are getting really close and I yeah, feel like yeah. the baby's going to come soon. I'm so scared. She was like, have them flip you. You know, like she was like walking me through it over the sure, phone. Yeah, yeah. So like, and then that was great because then I was like completely numb and the baby came out after like 10 pushes. So it was like really oh, fucking great. sick. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, so like, yeah, we were allowed to be there. You didn't have to wear a mask yet. We did get our temperature taken when we walked through the door. Okay. Um, and we had like a briefing of, or they like, you know, they had called us before and they asked us, you know, all these questions about like traveling out of, out of the country, et cetera, et cetera. Right, um, right. But yeah, it seemed like it was in some, in such early stages of them figuring out the protocol, you know? Right. And like m- the one midwife who I had like had a bunch of appointments with previous to the the birth um who i was like really psyched about working with who was actually planning to deliver me she had a mask on and oh. we were like uh-oh what's going on and then at around 2 a.m she went home so huh. she was sick but probably not with covid because they probably would have told me <laughs> Yeah, you know, <laughs> but so then we were like all freaked out because she had been just like checking on me you know like yeah and then sure. they like they go and they take they take like a nap or whatever and like i guess during her like nap time she was like i'm too sick to be working oh, that's and so they sent her home so we were like layer of scary yeah yeah we were all fucking freaked out <laughs> about that <laughs> but as we were leaving the birth center they were like you know what you're you're probably the last couple that will have been able to be together because wow. we're going to institute the single parent um, birthing. So good call, so, huh? Your instincts were right on with, with inducing yeah. and, and trying to stay ahead of that. Yeah, it really kind of opened me up to like feeling like there was some sort of thing greater than myself that was keeping keeping us safe during all of this. I got like super like, <laughs> I think it might have been the hormones, but I got like super spiritual afterwards. I was yeah, just like, there's yeah, yeah. something out there that was oh, like protecting sure. us. Because yeah. um, I just felt like we were so lucky, even though we were so fucking scared, because it was still also just like it everywhere you went. Like, I just kept saying it was like... Beetlejuice, you know, where you're like when you leave the house, there's the sandworms, oh, you know. Yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. Uh-huh. that's what that's what we felt like because we were like everybody has it. Do we have it? Like when we walked through the door with the baby in the yeah, yeah. carrier, we were just like, okay, take all your clothes off, you know, like, yeah. and we just like were flipping out, um, <laughs> trying to create that guess, safe barrier. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they did a really good job at the birth center, and and you know, I think that they've. I haven't heard any stories of, you know, somebody getting sick there. Um, I don't know. So I think that they're really cautious, but it just was in that early stage where you're just like, everybody has it. Nobody knows what to do. Yeah. Uh, You know, like, so it was scary. (laughs) Well, and then I can imagine you continued to be, I mean, because coming home with a newborn, you know, people don't realize sometimes. I mean, it's one of the most terrifying things ever maybe the most terrifying (laughs) thing ever because it's like yeah like everything in life comes with like you know some rules some standards Mm. some things you're supposed to do and i found it amazing too in a hospital they're just like all right here's uh here's your baby yeah go on (laughs) go on yeah enjoy your life i'm like whoa what what do i do where's the manual (laughs) yeah yeah so seriously so you get in the house you burn all your clothes you're wearing and you create the barrier <laughs> on the front door. Like, 
how did the next like month pan out? Like I'm sure you guys were like like hardcore quarantining, huh? Oh yeah, we didn't go anywhere. We were like bleaching all the mail like several days after it had arrived. Right, um, okay. So like we would leave like a window of time for like anything to like evaporate, and then we would bleach it, and then we would wait, and then we would bring it into the house. So wow. there's like, so yeah, I mean we were like out of our fucking minds because you know she had no immune system for the first two months. Yes. So. You know, and we had to go to the doctor's office right. three days after she was born. Right, right. And I was like, why are we doing this? Yeah, like, why we, are we just even here? got into our safe place, and now all of a sudden we're having to, like, go into a medical building. Yeah. It's like, and, like, have her be handled and touched, and she's breathing air with maybe sick people. It was, like, so fucking scary. Sure. So. That was awful. Um, and then I was having a really hard time getting breastfeeding started because the right. baby has a lot of like issues with her mouth. But I, in my like, it's such a haze now because I was so hormonal and so sleep deprived. And of I course. also like was like recovering physically from like giving <laughs> yeah, birth. Of um, and so I was just like so determined to get breastfeeding going because I felt like. I felt so guilty bringing her into the world, and I felt like the only thing I could do for her was to, like, give her breast milk mm. to, like, sustain her and get her immune system started. Sure. Because I wanted to just, like, protect her, and yeah. I was, like, so devastated that it wasn't working. I but we we yeah. got it together, but it took a really long time, and we ended up having a lactation consultant come to the house. Okay. Um, which was really scary. <laughs> right. Like another <laughs> dirty stranger entering. Yeah. The, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like terrifying. She was wearing a mask and she had like a 90 year old mother. So she was in very, very tight quarantine. Oh, okay. Um, and she came and it was just like, she was oh. the only person that we had seen and the only person that had darkened our doorway since we brought this baby home. And I was just like, weeping the whole time because i like i so needed you know the support of sure. like a wise older woman yeah, <laughs> in my life yeah. you know what i mean <laughs> so i was just like crying and she was like okay we're gonna get this under control <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah so it was like therapeutic and also she really helped me because the baby's mouth was just like all sorts of fucked up <laughs> so so after that she she started latching and you're you're on a good breastfeeding routine now or yeah yeah awesome. i mean we have days where it's like it dips you know like yeah, two days yeah. ago i was like i don't have milk anymore and sure. mike was like you still have milk you're okay and i was like no and then i spent <laughs> the whole day like doing something called power pumping where you're like yeah doing like 20 minutes on and 10 minutes off i know and 10 all minutes about on. it yeah it fucking sucks and like hurts <laughs> and, yeah. um but then like it's fine now so i think that it, i think i'm just I'm just so in my head about it that every backslide feels like the end of the world, but then sure. it's like, it corrects itself and it's okay. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But Laura, but yeah. this is your first kid, right? Yeah. So just so you know, we went through almost everything that you're talking about, minus the oh, COVID, wow. and it was, I thought it was completely terrifying. So adding in yeah. that additional anxiety, I can't even imagine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like that also, and like, just being isolated and not having my mom and my sister, you know, yeah, like come right. and be yeah. with me and like meet the baby. They just came actually last week and met the oh baby for the first time. Wow. So she she's three months now. And my mom flew up from Florida 
to Alexandria, Virginia, where my sister lives. And she quarantined there for two and a half weeks. Wow. And then they drove up and they didn't stop. They stopped to pee on the side of the road. Nice. Hardcore. <laughs> so I'm sure they'll be very happy that I just told the world. Um, <laughs> Because, you know, like, public bathrooms on 95, you know, that's a main artery. Yeah. You You're know? not going like, to find me at the Chesapeake House right now. Exactly. Yeah. And that's, like, one of my favorites. <laughs> great Sabaros. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the Maryland House is also very good. Yeah, and there's that good. one in Delaware that's, like, fucking sick now. Yeah, that new one. That's, like, oh my it's God. epic. I know. It's gorgeous. But have you ever made the mistake <laughs> of skipping Maryland House and going to the one, like, really close to downtown Baltimore? Oh, is it shitty? Oh, it's rough. Oh. Even an A&W, I wouldn't need that, you know? (laughs) (laughs) No point over there. I guess I would just wait till the Delaware one, because that one, even though it's very crowded and the bathrooms are just like, I mean, the bathrooms are beautiful, but they're just so fucking crowded. So I think now it would just be like a nightmare. I don't know. I've never, I haven't gone anywhere. I went on like four walks. Right. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) That's it. So well, I mean, I'm, that's, uh, that's a strange yeah. part of it, right? Is like, I mean, even for a normal young couple, you know, I don't think people realize how kind of isolating the newborn experience is when mm-hmm. you're literally just in your own world with you and your partner and your baby. And it, it could become a very like lonely place, you know, even though you're doing something so functional and biologically important, there's all these other aspects of life you're used to that just totally go out the window anyway. Um, So when you add that with the fact that you literally are not allowed to see anybody (laughs) and (laughs) not have the support you need. Yeah. That's crazy. It's being like left out on an Island. Um, Yeah. Yeah. And it sucks. Cause like you're going through it, but like everyone's going through it. So like, even if you need to lean on people, like they need to lean on you or like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, it feels like I can't complain as much as I want to because everybody's going through like the same shit and like harder shit because like they may have toddlers who and they have to work from home at the same time. You know, like that shit's like I can't even imagine how hard that is, you know? Well, well people just need to use caging more. <laughs> so I've been yeah. doing it at my house. <laughs> they get used to it pretty quickly. I I don't know. You know, everyone's just trying to be cool about it. And it's like, listen, there's a pandemic. We got to get serious, you know? Yeah. Like, (laughs) break out the old dog cages. We're good. Um, We got a crate. I have some tricks. You know, my my wife, super hardcore uh, breastfeeding between my two kids. She's essentially had someone on her chest for like four or five years now. Yeah. And, you know, at the beginning, you know, my son was premature and we had, you know, some issues bringing him home. So I do have some tricks for for uh, milk supply. I have a great uh, a great lactation cookie recipe using brewer's yeast and a couple other things. I've got brewer's yeast and uh, caraway seeds. It's not the best thing in the world, but Mm. it, it helps. And then, you know, my wife found it really uh, beneficial to have like half of a stout or a very dark beer. Yeah. Um, she found that that worked a little bit as well. And cool, then, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, like, the, and then there's the thing they forget. You're like, you know, you're looking at a human. Like, this is a little tiny human. And some days, like, they're just not that hungry. Right. You know? So some days it's not you. It's them, you know? I know. Just, That's so hard to remember. Like, they could just be going through some shit, you know? Like, yeah, and just rough it's not day. like... 
Yeah. yeah, it's not like you're a failure or like somehow biologically, like all of a sudden you're just like all fucked up, you know, like no. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to remind yourself that, you know, that kids are just weird. I want, I want to touch back to the one thing you said, like, you know, in my experience and it connected with me because in my experience, I had a very uh, strangely spiritual, like 48 hours around it where I find myself holding court with like all four of my grandparents uh and you know like doing like yeah some like what was your experience like what were, were there family members you know old family members like reaching out to you what was your spiritual experience with that um not so much well maybe i don't know i kept having a lot of dreams about my grandma um okay. but like you know, I was thinking about her a lot because she's, her name's Margaret and my mother's Margaret and my sister's Margaret. And so like, if me or my sister were going to have a kid that was a girl, like we have to name her Margaret, but then sure. I wanted to like, leave it open for my sister to have another kid. If she wanted to have a girl, like <laughs> right. name her Margaret. Yeah. So I was like, I don't know what to do here. So we gave her the middle name Maraid, which is Irish for Margaret. Um, and the baby was conceived in Ireland. Uh, <laughs> that's oh, oh. TMI. So I thought that that was like a fun little like, you know, like, oh, she's Irish Margaret. But it's not like exactly Margaret. But sure. yeah, like I I definitely had a lot of dreams about my grandma um, now that you mention it. But I think it was more like I was just I felt like there was a lot less randomness. You know mm. what I mean? Like I felt like something was taking care of us in that like because my mom is like super christian and like super duper religious and she's always like you're gonna you know like you gotta just leave it up to god you know she always says that about things and i'm like no i'm asking you for advice (laughs) real world advice yeah yeah exactly i'm like mom what would you do and she's like just ask god what to do and i'm like no yeah that doesn't work for me yeah (laughs) yeah like i'm i've been agnostic since i was a child like please you know like but um all of a sudden like it came to me and it could have just been like myself or or i don't know but like it came to me that that the decision you know to mm. induce like i just like woke up in the middle of the night and i was like mike we should induce and he was like okay huh. and then i called the next day we got the appointment and like everything went the way that it went right. um and i felt like I don't know. I just felt like there was some sort of like intervention there, like or huh. something. I'm just like more open to the idea of like, I'm just more open to the idea of there being something else now that all of a sudden, you know, but like, I'm not, I'm still like, you know, I'm still s- skeptical about everything. Sure. In the world. But it just, it felt like, it just felt special. I don't know, in a way that I can't really explain. Yeah. That's interesting. Well, you know, I if mean, there's yeah. one thing that I think that we learned was, and it was learning, learned it the hard way. Was that like your instincts are usually always right with this stuff? You know, we talk mm-hmm. about having the baby manual or having other right. people around the the village, which we don't have anymore. But yeah. like almost every case when my wife and I were like with the, with our first, of course, like had it, you know, had a strong feeling about something, and even when somebody else maybe who kind of might know more was telling us something else, pretty much our instincts were always correct. There's some magic there, man. So, yeah, yeah. trust your You got to trust trust biological mama instincts. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever my wife has one of those, like, feelings, I'm like, okay, that's coming from a place, like, I couldn't even begin to understand. Right. And I got to run with it because that's, like, something bigger than me. You know, I had a similar experience where I couldn't pinpoint it, 
but the process of watching kids grow and having kids and now watching them grow, you know, up uh, mm. instead of over, I suppose. Um, <laughs> it's like it does. Maybe it's like the powerlessness of it, you know, where you really do have to succumb to like whatever nature is doing. You know, it's yeah. like and and there is such like a complex like biology behind it that it makes it kind of makes you feel small, you know, yeah. and and makes you maybe I don't know. It, it definitely made me see things in a way where I'm like, this shit is really complicated and I yeah. will never understand it. And yeah. maybe like the idea that the answer to all this is way bigger than me seems a lot more tangible than it did prior. Right. No, absolutely. No, I totally agree. And I I think, yeah, I, I guess I just have to chalk it up to instincts. At this point, everything feels like, you know, it's not in it. I'm not making the decision myself, you know, like I haven't like, right. I guess I haven't owned it as like my maternal instinct because I'm so new at it <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> that everything I'm just like, I don't know, maybe there's a God and we're OK now. Like, I don't know. <laughs> but like, um, but yeah, maybe I just I that's maybe I have. And uh, maternal instinct. I didn't yeah. even realize it until yeah. you just said it. <laughs> it sends you on a journey. Like all of a sudden, like my sister's kids are, you know, getting into like teenage age and stuff. And I'm like, wait, when did you become Jewish? You know, like all of a sudden she's got like Passover at her house, stuff Aww. like this. And and I think that stuff like, you know, maybe comes back too, just for this sense of like family and history and not right. as much like belief. Right. Like you Just said, tradition. if your mom is a devout Christian, she has been your whole life, there's a part of you that's just comfortable with some of that logic. Like, whether you can intellectualize it out of yourself or not, it's yeah. still like, you know, it's the beginning thread. So right. I think when you have kids, you start to really lean to the things that are just comfortable to you, you know? Right. And that's comfortable. Yeah. And it's nice. You know what I mean? There's so many times I wake up and I'm like, man. I wish this was just all out of my power because, like, it's really stressful. Yeah. <laughs> like, if every one of these decisions is is me having the power over the situation and dictating it, that's that's a lot of responsibility. It's scary. I know. I know. <laughs> and like, I I hate to I hate to believe that there's just no there's there's just no answer and and like everything's random and we're just nothing happens when you die. But like then then that's like <laughs> that keeps me up at night still. But like. It's I I am jealous of people that are feel comforted by me too. <laughs> you know, like some sort yeah. of faith. Yeah. But I do I I definitely like I don't know. It's I just feel I I feel a little bit differently now that that, that we had that whole experience. Like I sure. feel a little bit more like open to possibility, which is nice. It I don't is. know if that's the beginning of something or if it's just a blip. <laughs> in my yeah. experience but who knows it'll it'll know. it'll grow it'll grow yeah i even found myself the other day you know my son's getting to an age where he's starting to ask the questions fundamentally understand that things die um oh, yeah you know and we never really came up with like this is our plan for how we're going to deal with this because i'm a failed jew my wife is a failed christian um <laughs> we don't really know much about either so it's like you know it's just not a very uh, worked out point of view. But mm. the one thing that was important to me is what you said, is that I don't want to eliminate 
the possibility of faith if they want it because it's so nice for people and it's so comforting for people that, you know, I don't want to intellectualize faith out of my children. I want them to Mm -hmm. actually be able to make that decision. So my son's asked me some stuff and I'm like, yeah, it was God. God did it. You know, I've never said that to anyone in my life, that that God was part of the creation process and that's how he came to be. But you know what? He's four years old. He doesn't really understand Darwinism. Right. I can't really like <laughs> lay that out for him yet. You You're know, like, see, like the wait. big bang is. Yeah, the exactly. Antimatter is. Like, you know, he calls meteors meat eaters. You know, like how oh, am I supposed to do this? You <laughs> should never change that. Never let him change that. That's so fucking cute. <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I just yeah, I tell that to say like I, I've gone through the same thing a little with like, yeah, I'm not exactly like filled with faith. But I'm yeah. definitely filled with more questions than I had right. like prior to this. And more doors and avenues seem open than they did before that. Yeah. Um, cool. So since uh, you and Mike play music together, mm-hmm. do you have any plans to have like a touring baby or a touring family once, once things uh, settle down in the world? I mean, yeah, we did. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But um, like I had I had a plan to go and do a festival in Norway um, in August. And that was like the thing that was I mean, obviously, that's been pushed. You know, I don't know even how far, probably at least a year into the future. Um, But so that was my first thing that I was going to be back on the road for. And so like in the beginning, I was still like making my like milk stash hoard, you know, for that. (laughs) And like. And so, like, that was going to just be probably five days, which would have been really fucking hard. So I'm, I'm glad I'm not going because I can't imagine in, like, less than two months leaving my child and going to Europe for five days. Like, yeah, that's, that's like, hard. I can't. Um, but before I had her, I was like, we can do it. <laughs> uh, but, like, I think for, for U.S. touring, if, if it's, like, a fly-out thing, um, I would just do a short little like maybe long weekend and then come home uh but if it's east coast or like midwest touring we were talking about going together and maybe having maybe mike's mom come or bringing another friend to watch the baby you know while we're playing um maybe like stay at the hotel with the baby while we're playing and then so like we would have a road baby if it made sense i mean but like now that's like all just like speaking in you know this like grand terms i i think like we're not really understanding the intricacies of it and how like difficult it could be right um i just think like oh little headphones <laughs> <laughs> you know what i mean like yeah, oh yeah. cute um like, we, we, she could just like hang out in the green room like but like you know life is so much harder than that but that was like our our plan right so you just <laughs> before thought... music died <laughs> you're yeah, right before everything we knew and loved just died right in front yeah. of our face. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That was cool. Um, <laughs> but I think it's awesome that you could have a traveling band. Um, and you and Mike have been working together a long time at this yeah. point, right? Like, cause he was in the cans the whole time. Mm-hmm. And even prior to that, yeah, was the cans the first time you guys played together? Yeah, yeah. Um, he the first I think our first show together was at a place called Rockstar Bar in um, 
in Brooklyn. It was like right on Kent, I think. Yeah, um, vaguely remember that. It had like these like mermaid like <sighs> uh, like bow like sculptures as like in like a, over the bar, and they were like all like drawn on. It was okay. it was a really weird place, but um, that was <laughs> that was our first like show after. I guess it was like our first show after we had our first kiss. <laughs> we might have had like two shows before that, maybe at like Lulu's or something, but. Um, yeah, uh, so so the relationship really like kind of burgeoned at the beginning of the cans like that. Yeah, well, like, uh. so so I was playing with a couple different people before Mike was playing with me, but like when Mike was playing with me, it was more organized and like the shows were the the shows were like at better places and not just like a shitty place on Long Island where like uh-huh. one of my weird friends is like playing you know like acoustic guitar along with me or yeah, whatever right right <laughs> but yeah we um I remember at that Rockstar Bar show we hadn't told anybody that we were like playing with that like we were like kind of getting together because I yeah. remember like sneaking a kiss like <laughs> we like had to like look around and be like was anybody around and then, yeah like, right um but yeah so it was like it was exciting but I mean there was probably like two weeks between like when we started playing together and then when we started actually like being uh, romantic wow that's cool I never realized <laughs> the mystical romance of the cans yeah yeah that's awesome so <laughs> You know, now that you've been at it for a long time and you subsequently got married and had a child, which means I assume you guys figured out how to do it. Yeah, we're um, committed. <laughs> yeah. So, so you know, this is something that doesn't work out for a lot of people. So what are what are some do's and don'ts about, you know, being in a band with your partner and working with your partner that that can keep it keep it cool? Oh, do's and don'ts. OK, because I do a lot of the don'ts. Um <laughs> And then, like, then we'll get in, like, a fight, uh, and then, like, it'll be fine. Because usually I just, like, I get super... I take things really personally, especially if it comes from him. Um, right, sure. Just because that's, you know, your your partner. So, like, if they're saying anything that's, like, you know, constructive criticism, it just feels, like, so much more intense. You know what right. I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, and because he's, like, he's been in it for such a long time, and he is such, like, a... I mean, he's, he's more important than I am, I feel like, in so many ways to, like, this band, because, like, he just does so much on, like, the managerial end, and, like, he just, like, he just makes everything happen, you know? I just I just write those songs, you know? Like, um... Laura, I gotta stop you right there. Come on. (laughs) Listen. As a drummer, I know this as well as anyone. We all need you. You gotta remember that. (laughs) None of us do anything without the songs. We need the damn songs. I know. So the much. songs are important. The songs so, are important. You know, I'm give important. yourself a little credit here. Yeah. Or, uh, okay, I'm moving important, on. But <laughs> he, like, if he wasn't in the band, I probably wouldn't. I mean, because he's, like, motivated and, like, thinks about stuff. And I sure. just kind of, like, want to write songs and be like, isn't that enough? Um, yeah, right, right. And so, like, when when he will, like you know, suggest something that's, like, slightly more professional than, like, the way that I would do it, which, you know, like, in hindsight, I, the way I would do it maybe be, might be the wrong way. <laughs> right. Um, I will, like, you know, I, I used to, I don't, I don't think as much anymore, but I would, like, get, take it per- super personally and get really defensive, and then, like, all of a sudden we'd be, like, in an argument, and it's, like, no, and, like, with any other band member, it wouldn't happen that way. You right, know what I mean? Right, so right, I think, right. like, you really need to, like, you really need to check yourself and be like, this is not a relationship 
argument. This is like a pragmatic band argument right. that is, you know, like two different opinions. It's not like there's nothing more than what's going on here. You know what gotcha. I mean? Yeah, and I think yeah. that that's the ultimate don't. And I am getting better at that. <laughs> so it's really like just separating, basically being able to take criticism without taking it like personally. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And like, yeah, separating how you feel like domestically from like how you feel just sure. like band wise. And it's hard because like yeah, you're living together. Yeah. yeah, you're living together on the road. You know, things come up um, and it's really difficult to like put that aside. Also, like you have to remember to like be sweet with each other and like take time to <laughs> right. like, you know, go and eat just the two of you, you know, yeah, like right, right. maybe like once a week or whatever, just like have a little bit of time to just like check back in because otherwise you're just like buds, you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> Until right. you get home Tour and then you're like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah exactly. And then oh, you yeah, get home I live like, with you. Yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. we love each other. We hold hands and kiss. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's just weird. But yeah, um, not just about loadout. It's exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, it's easy to just, you know, like put blinders on and be in like tour mode. But sure, you have sure. to you also nurture that aspect of the relationships. So I'd say like those are the two hardest things that. But I mean, that's like any relationship is work. So you're just working on, on the road. You're working while you're working, you know. Well, you guys are doing good. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, we figured it out. It was, I, I definitely like, I don't have the most healthy um, understanding of like what a relationship is just because I grew up in a broken home. And uh, <laughs> so like, I, I just like, you know, like I, it, it, it took me a lot longer to figure out a healthy dynamic, you know, um, sure. but you know, 13 years in we're going strong. <laughs> well, it sounds too that Mike is kind of a really cool like a motivating factor for you. Cause I mean, I even read in an older interview that you had said, you know, when you were trying to go solo at first, you were sort of just kind of like writing songs just to write them and were reticent to, you know, record properly and put them out. And, and is it, was Mike kind of a, a fire starter to get you to take like that next step? Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. like he he was like, you should make a record. And I was like, why? <laughs> <laughs> why would I do that? That sounds like, like, I don't know. I felt like people that made records were like, I just felt like you couldn't just make a record. Like it was like a big, like, I'm a career musician. You know, like, it just seemed like something. You thought it was than, like, like egotistical or something? Kind for you to, of. Yeah, kind yeah. of. Or just like, it was like more of a statement than like just a collection of songs and documenting them. So, right, right. Um, and he was like, no, I mean, you could just, just make a record. It's fine. And then, you know, he just has like more direction. And, um, so it was really nice for him to kind of like, you know, give me a push cause he believed in me. And I guess also a lot of it is like, I don't believe in myself as much as he believes in me, which is, you know, nice. And I should try to learn how to believe in myself a little bit more so he doesn't have to do so much of the huh. <laughs> heavy, heavy. Well, maybe that ship has sailed, Laura. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> Damn it. You're right. <laughs> so when you were first like uh, about to make the switch to go solo from bands, were, were you sitting on tons of music? Did you have a lot of stuff you'd been working on in private or did the actual idea that you're gonna start doing this on your own, start um, necessitating creation more? I think that, well, I was definitely sitting on a lot of songs. Um, and then I think I was inspired by 
you know, these people in my life that had that, that believed in me. I think right. that that also like pushed me, like because like Mike and then like obviously Jeff sure. um, were such like champions of like what I was making. That I think that that like pushed me creatively as well, just to like try try more and like. Right feel like freer to do that um so I, I think it would be like a little a little bit of both but i definitely had like a large pile of songs a lot of them bad um <laughs> that <laughs> hopefully will never surface um and then i i could kind of sifted through that and like found the good stuff and then like you know i was learning so much that i was also like you know just trying to push myself to write even better songs and i felt supported that's cool um, yeah had you already found like your singing voice? Like, there's yeah. that something? No. Okay. So how did that? Because I know you came straight out of a pretty like, you know, pretty much like a punk ska sort of world, and then yeah. you know went into this. Like, so so what was the what was that like? Like, you know, did you sing a lot as a kid, and and how did it eventually manifest into you know singing for yourself in like a solo career like that? Um, I definitely sang a lot as a kid. I was always in choirs and stuff. Okay. Um, I was like an acapella kid in high school, which Ooh. became cool, but was not cool when I was doing it. Are there photos <laughs> we, of you doing acapella God, group stuff? I'm sure. I don't know if we have any. There must be. I was, uh, there's well. a photo of me. I, I remember we did Foray's Requiem. Like <laughs> a bunch of high schools did it at... Okay. Um, at uh, Lincoln Center, which was, oh, like, wow. really, really That's cool. cool. Yeah. Um, so I remember that we have a picture of, because my mom went to that. But I don't know if... <laughs> there must be something in my yearbook of something of me wearing a cummerbund and a bow tie, I'm Maybe sure. Maybe turtleneck or something. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, we were purely cummerbund. And then, like, the <laughs> uh, the other two choral groups that I was in wore robes, which was also not cool. Um, <laughs> yeah, the Coraliers and then the Madrigal Singers, which was very dorky um my only but, frame of reference is sister act oh yes it was like before they threw off the robes you know <laughs> right, like okay. we didn't have cool clothes underneath we just had the robes <laughs> we um, all need a whoopee yeah exactly uh, i wish that would be awesome um but yeah so i did a lot of just like choral singing and that was like fulfilling enough to me and then like at home i would just be like singing um and like I, I, singing along to bands that I liked doing harmonies, you know, oh, like cool. I was yeah. listening to CDs in my room. And then also like I loved musicals. So my sister and I would always do like um, we'd sing like songs from Rent and, and like sure. Les Mis and stuff. And I would always have to be like the guy if it was like a duet. Um, but that's fine. <laughs> you, you had more of the bass? No, I think that I'm just, you know, the younger kid, so I, oh, I just okay. get, gotcha. I get this shit luck. You know? <laughs> always Luigi, always the fucking guy, um, but whatever. <laughs> At least I'm allowed to play, so it's fine. Right, right. yeah, give me any <laughs> I'll take what I can want. get, yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, so then when I started singing, like, and writing, I definitely was, like, singing in a voice that was not my own and like the, my first couple mm. of records i'm still like transitioning to figuring out like what my voice was because oh, wow. i definitely was like singing i was trying to sing like my grandma um and she had this like really beautiful voice but she sang on records in the 30s right. and just singing was different and <laughs> i just thought that that was pretty and i was trying to sing with like a pretty voice and i definitely was like 
not singing with my real voice. So okay. like when I listened to like my first three records, I'm like, who is this? I started figuring out my voice like on Cockshore, which was my fourth record, and then I feel yeah. like on the Big Freeze, that's when I'm like, actually, there's no, there's not, there's no like, there's nothing that I'm singing through. I'm not singing like through a fence, <laughs> you know. Like I'm Got just you. like yeah. going straight from my brain out my mouth, and it feels natural. That's um, cool. But it took me a really long time to figure that out and to be comfortable with it. Yeah, because yeah. like it's not going to be as pretty as you want it to be, you know. And you just have to let it be what it is. And I, I definitely was singing inappropriately also so I was really damaging my voice oh, and I've, wow. I've damaged my voice I have polyps I have bilateral polyps now oh really yeah so how, how were you singing inappropriately like what what was causing that I was like squeezing the notes out instead of like opening my throat I was mm. just like because it was so like affected sounding like I right. and I was trying to get this like tone in my voice that I was just really not singing in a healthy way also i never had voice lessons to learn how to sing appropriately okay so it's but i've since been doing a lot of stuff on youtube <laughs> <laughs> so like i feel like that has been helpful just watching like vocal coaches and like listening to them and and trying different things and trying to find what feels the healthiest i think okay. is is the best the best way to do it like whatever Wherever your vocal cords are going to vibrate, you know, like let them yeah. do it un uninhibited by like your own brain trying to sure. tell you what's pretty. That's awesome. <laughs> well, you can you know? tell. You can really tell because on the big freeze, there's kind of like a breadth of your voice. Like you can hear there's more space in it. You know, you can hear yourself so much more with the way you deliver it. Um, yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. So, what what kind of records was was your grandma on in the '30s? Well, she sang with Benny Goodman, um, so she sang like big wow. band music. Awesome. Um, that's but yeah, crazy. she she had a really beautiful voice, beautiful, beautiful. But then she, you know, she did a advertisement for Lucky Strike, and <laughs> then she got emphysema and she couldn't sing after oh, that. Wow. So it's like real I ironic tale. Is that irony? Um, it's kind of irony. It's just, yeah, it's, it's sardonic uh, irony. Did, okay. <laughs> so was she a soloist or did she sing group? Like, what was her? No, she was a soloist. Wow. So she's on. Um, you can hear her for sure on the song "This Year's Kisses." Um, there's like smaller records that she sang on, but like a lot of the like um, the singles, he has like a bunch of different singers. But she sang with him for I think three years, and she's on the recording for "This Year's Kisses." You can hear it on. YouTube wow, or Spotify, but yeah, she she was she was pretty incredible. She was like really really smart and also just really really talented. So did she did she like tour her. or travel with with the group at all? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she did. She did. She she toured for a while and then she she met my grandfather. He was working at CBS because he was a composer, and then when they wanted to have kids, I think he was just like no more touring right okay <laughs> so uh then she quit and she just became a, a piano teacher from their home um and then when they got a divorce she went back to school and became a teacher like she's just she has like such a crazy story because she was just so bright also on top of being so talented so yeah seems she like she had work. a lot of drive too uh where, yeah. where was your family from she was from south carolina oh really and my grandfather um 
was the son of an uh, Irish, no, uh, an Italian immigrant. He lived in Newark, New okay. Jersey. So, um, but they but, both kind of like had, uh, they both kind of got discovered and like their lives got changed by being a part of music. So it was cool. And just wound up around New York, like since he was at CBS. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. So we have to take a little shift here for a segment called Mystery Friend. Ooh. Okay. So <laughs> this wasn't easy to get, by the way, because I was like, you know what? Laura has to hear about Jeff enough. Oh, yeah. That I'm not making Jeff the fucking mystery friend, okay? He's a friend <laughs> of the show already. He's on plenty. So There's I, no mystery about him. No, no <laughs> mysteries, yeah, <laughs> at all. We know so, all about that guy. Yeah, open book. Um, <laughs> so I've heard this story that you were driving, you were on tour. Okay. And apparently you were forced off the Trans-Canadian Highway mm. on an overnight drive by an avalanche. Yes. And then got <laughs> stranded in a place called Revelstoke, British <laughs> Columbia. And then they reopened the highways and you apparently blew out a tire yes. during a blizzard. So can you, can you tell me about this, these few days? That sounds wild. It was really wild. It, okay, so we played in Vancouver, and then we had a show in, ugh, what was the next city? It was far. It was I an think overnight based drive. on the story, I heard it was Calgary. Yes, yes. Okay. So I don't That's even know far. how many hours that is. Yeah, it's really far, so we were just going to drive through the night. But it started snowing, and we were like, okay, this is not like awesome, but we're going to do it. It was April. Which is okay. avalanche season because that's when you know everything oh, starts warming up. They have right. a lot of heli skiing that like kind of knocks the the snow up, and that's like what happens. So um, we, I, I knew that I was going to have to be the best shotgun in the world right. to Mike because it was sure. an overnight drive through the snow. So I drank two five hour energies. Okay, so, yeah, because <laughs> if people don't know in that role. That is maybe even more of an important role than driver for mm-hmm. an overnight drive. Like, you got to yeah. be engaging. You yeah. got to be fun. You got to get directions. That's a very mm-hmm. important job. Yeah. You got to get the playlist going or like stand up comedy or whatever you're going to listen yeah. to. You got to like keep it fresh. You get know? through and that so. 3 to 5 a.m. malaise. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. That's the hardest part. Yeah. Right before sunup. Yeah. That's the hardest part. So I was like, okay, I'm going to be awesome. And I bought two Vibar Energies, and I was a fucking nightmare as a, <laughs> as a shotgun. I was having panic attacks because, also, the snow was coming down so hard, there was only one lane that was drivable. Oh, no. All the exits were snowed over, so oh. we were stuck on the road. Shit. And... We and and it looked like we were driving because the snow was so high on both sides because we were like in the mountains. It looked like we were driving through an actual tunnel of snow. Like it oh looked like goodness. the snow was canopied over the top of the van. Like that's how high, it's just white everywhere you looked. So it was really so fucking scary, and yeah. I was certain we were going to die. Yeah, there were just like trucks alongside the highway, like just with with their chains on like they were just like okay i'm done like yeah, they couldn't I'm they couldn't exit yeah yeah so like we were we were really really scared i sure. probably much more so than mike <laughs> um and and ajj and roar they were in in a van they were uh 
taking videos of themselves going probably 10 miles an hour or, or less. They were out the side of the van uh, and like, I, I don't know what, it looked like they were like hoverboarding on the snow. Oh my God. While they were driving, <laughs> probably not hoverboarding, <laughs> skateboarding. They were like, just like skitching, but like <laughs> on top of the snow Whoa. and they were having like a blast. Yeah. And we were not. A bunch I of Arizona kids. They're like, yeah, snow! Exactly. They were like, what is it? It's like Ooh. sand, but cold. It's <laughs> 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 cold sand. Um, and so then we finally, finally got off, and it was because they closed down the highway completely wow. in this town called Revelstoke. And I kept saying it felt like Brigadoon because <laughs> it didn't feel real, and everybody kind of had like a Scottish accent. They were like, oh, really? welcome to Revelstoke. And we were like, what? This okay. doesn't feel real. I thought we had like died. Um, so then the we were Scottish stuck part there. of British Columbia. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Okay. And then we were stuck there for over a day wow. just sitting in like a it was like an A&W or like some sort of restaurant like that just with all the other truckers right, just watching yeah. the TV and just trying to find out when the roads were going to reopen sure. it was it was really it was surreal but it was that, nice that's wild and yeah. then so then finally when do you get back on the road like next day two yeah days? next day and they just moved the show it was like why didn't we just have the show be on the oh. next day anyway. Like, they so easily moved the show. They're like, oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> I mean, to be able to Vancouver to Calgary on an overnight, that's, that's asking for trouble. I mean, that's, It was brutal. That's fucking it was far. really, really brutal. So, so, so you yeah. immediately get back on the road and then blew out a tire? Oh, yeah. <laughs> and we were in Banff um, okay, when, very... when the tire blew. So it was a pretty place to uh, yeah, beautiful. be stuck. Sure. Um, and then... AJJ caught up to us and saw us stranded and they know that we're all just like such idiots because we're all like from like Long Island and whatever. Nobody knows how to change a tire. So they helped us. They like got under there, jacked up the van and oh, okay. changed the tire for us because we were just like, none of our cell phones work. Like, what do we do? We we're yeah, just like yeah. standing there and then they just happened to drive past us idiots um, and they saved the day. So it was really nice. <laughs> AJJ is really coming through in this story as quite they the adventurous really group. Yeah, they like, really are. So like, is this? Are they my secret friends? Well, yeah. Now, now the now that I got the story, you have to guess which mystery friend told me this story. That's the mm, game. Sean. No. Mm, Deacon. No. Preston. No. Ben. No, none of them. <laughs> Owen. None of them. Wait, who else was on the tour? You're missing one crucial part. Sean. Ben. Oh, Mark. No. <laughs> All right, I have to end this. It was Wait. your husband. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I went ahead and got a mystery husband instead of a oh, mystery friend today. I love yeah. it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you why. It's because our mutual friend, John... Dimona de Chichi. Ah, he is. He, he came, he, I call him last night and he's like, yeah, I'll get something. And then hits me back. He's like, I don't know what's wrong with me, but I don't have anything. Oh and my I'm like, God. Seriously, no story for me. And then he subsequently tweets like 15 fucking times after. I'm like, you couldn't have thought of something in the time you constructed all these tweets with the he's cool emojis. He's working on his tweets. You know, he's working on his tweets. I so, get it. But then he called me this morning and he did give me a funny story. It's not a great mystery friend, but I still want you to talk about it. Okay. So apparently when he was your drummer. Yes. 
you were having issues with the monitors and would like kind of glare back at the band every once in a while. <laughs> and they were really afraid that they were doing something wrong. But it turned out that you were just mad at the monitor people. So then you guys came up with a safe word. Oh, I yeah. think it was banana. Yes. To be like, it's the monitor people. It's not you. So they wouldn't be <laughs> self-conscious. This actually happened. Yes. Yeah. Because like, I was trying to be like, is this happening for you guys? You know, like with my eyes, you know, like just like yeah, sure. kind of being like, because nothing was coming out of my monitor. And I was like trying to gauge this this scenario. Right. Um, but yeah, they all thought that I was like angry at somebody. And I was like, no, I'm not angry at anybody. I'm just like upset because <laughs> I can't hear myself and I'm scared that I'm singing the wrong notes. And <laughs> it's, it sounds like shit. Um, but yeah, so they, they had to say banana. Um, but then since then, I've gotten an in-ear monitor, so okay. I don't think that that's happened since. But, yeah, it made me feel scared that, like, they are just afraid that I'm mad all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he also said that you came up with the word banana, but then you'd always forget the word and yell things <laughs> not at all banana-related, and it would confuse him. He told me that, yeah, too. I couldn't yeah. remember. I couldn't remember the word. I knew syllabically. <laughs> You know, like what what fit in there, but I couldn't figure it out. So I was like, Johanna, and now my daughter's <laughs> name is Johanna. So it works That's out. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, so you didn't name your daughter Margaret? No, her middle name is Maraid, which oh, is okay. Irish Margaret, gotcha. but her first name is Johanna. Hey, but, did yeah. you use the traditional spelling of Maraid? Isn't it really weird spelling? It's M A I R E with an accent A D. That was the one that we went with. There's like oh, one wow. with an with two accents and then there's one with an e on the end um but i liked i liked visually the one that we picked <laughs> that's pretty close to like an elon musk name that's that's oh old. yeah like a07 <laughs> yeah yeah that little Kyle. cyborg that he has apparently <laughs> do you think that they were kidding because if they were kidding that's fucking hilarious but if they were I, serious I don't yeah like i don't think that guy's kidding <laughs> Yeah, Aww. I don't think that guy's kidding. Yeah, that's kind of <laughs> his thing. I follow that guy way closer than I should because I went ahead and bought some Tesla stock like years and years and years ago. And I don't really know much about stocks at all. You know, I just I'm kind of like, oh, this guy says he's going to take people to the moon. That's, yeah. that's probably going to do well. You know, yeah. that's, that's kind of my logic in going through this. But he was such a confusing figure to like to to follow because the whole time i'm like is this guy nikolai tesla is he howard hughes like what is he i don't know if he's like a snake oil salesman or a genius you know i kind of still don't yeah i kind of still don't it's a very strange character john yeah. john's story was really funny though because that used to happen in gaslight anthem a lot but 50 percent of the time i was actually being glared at for playing too fast <laughs> Because, yeah, you know, I get excited. Yeah, know? I mean, that's the lot of atmosphere. <laughs> when we played together, did I play too fast? No. No? I lo I'm in, in Antarctica, have you ever yeah. played with me as a person? No, Singing? not you as oh, a okay. solo. I would All love right. to. I was like, wait, You're have wonderful. we played together? Oh, and then you. I could that break out fun. my mallets and brushes Ooh, and cool la, stuff la. and get all broody. Yes, um, please. Yeah. yeah <laughs> no, you always, you always played great. I loved the energy. I loved playing in Antarctica. <laughs> Ah, uh, it's so much fun. We'll do it you again will, soon. Once, wonderful. Yeah. Once, once the world unpeels. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I wanted to, on the big freeze, 
you know, you, you know, you've always incorporated strings, but uh, it seemed like even more on this last record. Um, and I read you came upon a wonderful cellist. Oh yeah. Uh, and then I also watched your Tiny Desk concert, which was great. And I was wondering how you're how you're incorporating those musicians. Are you just giving them the songs and letting them write parts, or are you actually like composing parts for the string players? Um, well, I would like sing sing the parts um, when we were recording cello for Big Freeze. Uh, I would sing. Um, we oh, had this cool. cello player named Eleanor Norton, and so like I could sing over the talk back the parts, and then she would just play them exactly as I sang them. Oh wow! Um, with That's every cool. inflection, every like dramatic lilt, you know, wow. she just she sang. She played it like like it was a voice. It was really beautiful. Um, she's just super in tune. Um, with her instrument, and then when when I did the tiny desk, I sent um, the main cellist. I sent her the uh, like three GarageBand tracks. So I like made okay. I, I like did the arrangement over GarageBand, and then she told me like what would work within the ranges of each instrument, and she like tweaked some of the notes or like maybe like did things an octave up. Um, if it wasn't like within like a comfortable range for the instrument, okay. um, or like in, intonation wise, like if it was like a diff- difficult key, you know, uh-huh. we would like change a note. Um, and yeah, she, she just kind of guided me in terms of, um, like just ar- arranging for a three piece, you know, and, and oh, also like for like what notes live would rub too much together, you know? Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Um, and then she charted everything. Cool. Gave it to the string players, so they had sheet music, and then we just practiced for like an hour before before the performance, wow. and it was really scary, but it was awesome. It was really, really cool. It's wild running into sometimes in our world, right, where you run into people, you're like, oh my god, you're such a real musician. Right. It's, you're yeah. terrifying. Yeah. Like, yeah. I was, <laughs> like, because we had to change something, um, we had to change like a like a beat on uh the song Dermatillomania because it was like just like the time signature was a little bit different and uh so when I was giving them the note they took out pens and changed it on their sheet music right right. oh because they're just reading the music yeah they're like real (laughs) people (laughs) right now like yo play that back to me like three times so I can make sure my ear recognizes it yeah and it's like oh okay you got it you know like they're just like write it down and then it was like okay got it that's awesome which is crazy but also like um kevin higuchi also plays drums like that he charts everything out so when like i did a tour yeah i did a tour with him um and he just would like make a note and then he'd be like okay cool and he's he's just got it because he just charts it and he's reading his chart and it's like what and then it just is fine wow that's cool (laughs) but yeah it's just like it's such a different world for me um but yeah it's cool that's awesome and then and then you and uh i know i said i wasn't gonna bring him up you and your buddy made a neil young record oh yes my buddy jeffrey yeah yeah (laughs) and uh so i mean i know that that was pretty well documented when it came out but i thought it was cool did i read that your your dad was like a hardcore Neil Young fan who like buys bootlegs and it's like part oh, yeah. of his fan club and like stuff like that. 
Oh, yeah. My dad is probably, like, the world's biggest Neil Young fan. Wow. He, that's, like, why he has a computer, I feel like. He just is always, <laughs> like, on the message boards, like, exchanging bootlegs with people. And it's just, like, he's he's so in it. That's That's his number one. Is, is there a name for him? Because my mom was in the Queen fan club. Uh, oh, is there a name for And she the was Neil called, Young they fans? were called Queenies. Oh, maybe the they're like, called like the Youngins or something? The Youngins, yeah. <laughs> that would be cute. <laughs> so so did you, did you uh, seek his advisement at all when you made this record? Like, which songs would you, would you oh, want, want to hear me doing? No, no, no. No, not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I would be, I would be too afraid. But okay. I, uh, I was afraid for him to even hear it because I right. was like, oh god, is he going to hate this? But he, he liked it, so oh, okay. that makes me happy. That makes me really happy. Did he share with the other Neil Young nerds on like the message boards? Oh, I don't know. Probably like, not. Like guys, like don't kill me for this. <laughs> they probably would kill him. <laughs> <laughs> They'd be like, this is blasphemous to our god Neil. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, poor Neil. And now he's being played at Trump rallies, you know? Oh, God. I wonder how he feels about that. Last time I saw him, he was eating and handing out a bowl of organic cherries what? at the Where? front of the stage. It was at a festival. Oh. And I was like, man, this is just the sweetest old man. I love and him. And then I heard that song and I'm like, that must have put Neil in like his hyperbolic chamber for like two days being sad yeah. <laughs> once he heard that. Cause he seems like such a sensitive guy, you know? It's so crazy. Were they playing keep on rocking in the free world when he was handing out the cherries? Oh no, no. Is that the song that they used at the Trump rally? Uh, probably, probably I would imagine. Yeah. yeah. They just used a Tom Petty song. I know. Um, don't, don't back down. It, don't, oh God. Yeah. So crazy. So now apparently a bunch of Tom Petty fans have to, come to grips with the fact that Tom Petty was not a conservative, nor was his family. So, <laughs> I, I, I saw the Twitter thread. It was ugly. Oh, really? Yeah. People were like, oh man, Tom's not one of us? It's oh. like, fucking, no, Tom's he's, fucking cool. He's from Gainesville. Yeah, he's Gainesville is like a cool, like me. Yeah. cool blue dot. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this isn't hot water music, kids, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I, I uh, you know, going back, for me, it was like the 90s. You know, I had always imagined like that going to punk and hardcore shows was sort of like an all-inclusive environment. And mm. now I sort of realize in hindsight, you know, that it was a very male, white dominated place. Yeah. That, you know, wasn't nearly as inclusive as I thought. Even though it was philosophically inclusive, it wasn't right. actually physically inclusive. Right. Um and, you know, I can imagine you've had the experience of being the only woman in the room quite a few times um, mm. through all your years in music. I'm curious, like, how your experiences back in the day were compared to now. And if you think there's been any, like, marked improvement in, in you know, inclusivity in music and stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, I feel like uh, people are maybe becoming more aware of it. I don't know if uh, if it still feels like a very inclusive environment. It still feels very white cis, you know, yeah, like. Sure. Um, so I would say that you're seeing maybe some changes, but not nearly as many as should have been 
you know, made at where we are now, you know? So I think there's still so much work to be done. Um, so yeah, I don't know, but I mean, like, yeah, yeah. It's, it was very like just kind of a white boy club for a really long time and still feels very much that way. Yeah. um, Yeah. I'd say. So it hasn't gotten much better since then? I don't think so. I think that now, like, there's conversations, and I think that that's a good thing. Sure. Um, But hopefully we'll see the conversations leading to actual change, and you hear more voices than just the one, you know? And what do you think is, like, you know, something that, you know, a band of four or five straight white males... You know, beyond like hiring practices and stuff, you know, what what do you think some stuff that maybe bands on the other side could do to to make it more inclusive or to actually take like a real step in that direction? I think opening up your life, I think like a lot of it also has to do with just like socially people are kind of like isolated into these like, you know, like groups you know what i mean right. and i feel yeah. i feel like it, it goes so much beyond music but to like actually culturally um people just you know like being more let being less isolated culturally i think right. would lead to actual changes so know? even just opening yourself up to different stories different lives different, yeah exactly yes okay that makes sense um love it well, you don't have to speak for all women. I won't do that to you. <laughs> um, I was curious, since you came up in that scene, this is a yeah. fun little game. Who was your favorite <laughs> band hmm. in 1998, in 2008, and now? Oh, my God. Or artist. Band or artist. 1998. Because what were you in 98? Like, you were a I kid. was 14. Yeah, okay, perfect. Okay, so 14, 1998. Uh, did probably less than Jake. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so the, say, so the being in Bomb the Music Industry, that wasn't an accident. You were a proper, like, ska punk kid. Oh, yeah. Oh. Oh, yeah. I was less ska, more like ska punk. Okay. I would say. Um, but, yeah, probably. So what are we talking, less than Jake, Real Big Fish? N- less Real Big Fish. I didn't have any of their CDs. Okay. Um, but I liked... Blink one eighty two, sure. Of course, I mean that's not Scott Punk. That's just like that's a given. Yeah. Um, Blink one eighty two, <laughs> probably. I mean, Dude Ranch was like my that was a game changer for me. <laughs> <laughs> and then Enema came out, and I was like, what? <laughs> um, and I listened to that for like an entire year. So probably those two bands were my favorite bands. Okay, uh, which is you know fine. <laughs> it is what it is. That's good for ninety eight. Yeah. <laughs> 2008, I was, how old would I be then? 24? Hmm, my favorite band then. Uh, 24 years old. I was listening to a lot of singer-songwriters when I was 24. So probably like Elliot Smith or Mm. like Leonard Cohen. I was going through my like sensitive phase. (laughs) (laughs) Phase. Starting to get broody. Yeah. And then like now... Yeah. Um, what do I even listen to? Podcasts. <laughs> right. Yeah. People talking about pandemics. That's my yeah, favorite artist. That's right like now. pretty much, I listen to like Comedy Bang Bang and like 
Yeah, I just like don't even listen to music anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so how's that for an evolution? <laughs> That's a good evolution. It's a little scary. I'm similar it is to mine. I, I mean, I have that issue sometimes where I'm like, why do I feel so terrible right now? And then yeah. I like go out on a dog walk and just like play a record I love. And I'm like, oh, my God, I feel better. Why do I forget to listen to music? I know. It's like music is so, like, nurturing. And it's like, it's not my first go-to thing to make me feel better anymore. Yeah, it's it's weird. weird. It's it's like almost like someone who's been there so long that I take her her for granted. I know. know. You forget. We've been listening to a lot of Bill Evans in the house. And that's been really, really nice because it's... It's relaxing and like still like complex, you know, so right. it's like your your brain is being stimulated, but like in a way that is like very in the background. So it's gotcha. that's kind of been like the the baby playlist. It's just been like a lot of Blevins, I like to call him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd imagine Mike is probably up on like super like cool up to date stuff, right? I think less up to date and more like he's going back in time. So like oh, okay. now, like he's going through like a heavy jazz phase, and then I think that's why Blevins has has made it. Um, <laughs> and then he was like he was getting into like really obscure disco okay. um, records. So he like every week it's like a new kind of phase that he's going through and then we'll just have like so many records on our doorstep that like he's ordered at like 2 a.m what is what is obscure disco <laughs> like random things that i've never heard of um <laughs> just like weird shit like weird collectors i'm also breastfeeding as yeah um i've been doing that for like 20 minutes <laughs> yes nice Good for you. um that was yeah. smooth. I didn't think I'd be able to. I thought Listen, that she would get mad, but she's doing good. Young um, mother. Yeah, look You're at me pulling go. it off. <laughs> My young 36-year-old mother. Oh, it's perfect. <laughs> I love it. Um, but yeah, so it's just it's just like random ass things that he like reads about and like these message boards that are like very very limited pressing records that he will buy and uh, then they're awesome and it's wonderful. I got to uh, look into that because I think I definitely I've definitely, I think since having kids and like, I've, I've, um, I've got a new respect for like a lot of like seventies disco, some of that stuff. Yeah. It's amazing. There's this, um, artist named Sylvester that we got, uh, the record the other day and it's fucking great. And one of the tracks was written by, um, a member of the band Lavender Country, which is like this really cool queer country group from the 70s um, in New York City that I also just found out about from uh, a drag performer named Trixie Mattel that I follow on Instagram. So like, (laughs) I'm, I'm learning about music in just like every every way possible. Yeah, wherever <laughs> right you can find it. <laughs> just the very very uh, different places like Instagram. <laughs> I feel like it's it's easy to hate on disco, but then if you pay attention, you've literally seen the rhythm and the beat of disco being recreated like every year since disco has been right. a thing. Absolutely. You know? And it's just such utterly listenable, joyful yeah. music, you yeah. know, um, it when it's really good, is, it is like special. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, There's it, still it, some <laughs> horrible, horrible. Disco. Yeah. But it even it, horrible everything, though. Yeah. yeah right. Right. <laughs> it's I feel funny, like though. there may be a little bit higher ratio of disco and that's why it's always gotten such a bad rap. Yeah. Right. Like right. Right. At some point in its early inception, 
it was okay to make shitty disco because it was such a utility music, you know, like mm-hmm. it was for dancing. Just for the dance floor. And that really, like, that's why, you know, it's never gotten over its bad rap. But, yeah, the good shit is fucking, some of it's just stunningly amazing. Yeah. And it, and it got to everyone. That's the thing. It's like the disco period ended. And then, you know, Led Zeppelin has, like, In Through the Outdoor. Mm-hmm. Like, they were clearly listening to disco right. when they made that record. Like, right. there's, I'm like, John Bonham doesn't play like that. Why is he doing the oots <laughs> Like, that's not his vibe. It got to everyone. Well, everyone there are was infected boots by and disco. cats everywhere. Yeah, there's yeah. those classic, like, early 80s, like, Kiss, right? A kiss right. and the yes. Stones, the Rolling Stones. Right. Stones, too, yeah. Uh-huh. Busted out disco songs, yeah. Yep, everyone tried. Yeah. I think that's I think what that, you, that's you need some of these. You need to. Oh, yeah. I think you need a trap rap. Isn't that what it's called? Oh, what's trap? You got to find somebody yeah. like a. <laughs> you need to find like a 19 year old kid with a lot of uh, face tattoos to do a collab with. Yeah. Okay. Or just yeah, some I, remixes, right? Yeah, some remixes. Like I would love oh. it. If I ever meet another person, I would love <laughs> to collaborate. Yeah, I don't know if you're running into that guy up in Hudson Valley, too. Yeah. I think you lost that demographic. So I think I've, I've just lost the access to any other human being other than my, my husband and daughter. It'll come. The rest of my it'll life. Come. Just... just Stay steadfast. We'll be yeah, we right. tell her. We tell her when she's twenty five, she'll meet. She'll meet some people. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, dude, taking my kids out, putting them in masks, and telling them not to like touch other kids. It's, oh my it's, god, that must be so strange. It's sad. It's fucking yeah. sad. It's weird. Um, so, as I mentioned, you're, you're living up in upstate New York now, Hudson Valley. I was driving mm-hmm. around your house the other day. Oh yes, way, that's check, very exciting checking some to me. properties out. I love um, it. So. There are a lot of old creepy houses up there, and I know you've recorded in some houses. Mm -hmm. Uh, Do you believe in ghosts? Do I? If I say no, will the prospective ghosts come and get me? Well, if you say no, I think you just answered my question (laughs) in the fact that you think prospective ghosts will come after you if you answer incorrectly. Well, I'm open to it. Okay. I'm open to being afraid of anything. So <laughs> I think yes, um, in a way, but also like I've never experienced it. But if, if I say no, that I'm scared that that will make ghosts uh, want to come see. after me. So you don't yes, you don't wanna, I get it. I get it. I don't attempt their, their ghostly revenge. Yeah. Spectral revenge. I think you may need to leave a tribute out now. Yeah, Some I know. Chocolates and a couple. Not my firstborn. <laughs> no, not protect the child. It's not Ghostbusters too. <laughs> Oscar. <laughs> I'll never understand how such a good actress and Sigourney Weaver oh, can deliver her. that Oscar line so strangely. You're literally watching a phantom. Your your kid is on top of like a twenty. 20- fifth floor building walking on the ledge and gets picked up by a ghost with a baby carriage and she just goes to Oscar and that's it and then calls Bill Murray you know well who are you gonna call well yeah true (laughs) Ernie Hudson please yeah I like the one who takes it seriously the best of the best yeah Winston. <laughs> All right. Well, we've been on for a while. What do we got here? Oh, Hour 20, 20 minutes. Yeah, and whoa. you've been breastfeeding. Yeah. We've uh, really been through it. <laughs> Laura, ups and downs. This was a roller coaster. It yeah. was great. Well, <laughs> Thank you for, for having me. No, thanks for doing this. This was fun. Of course. 
course. Can't wait to be neighbors. Yeah, I don't know. I didn't find anything. I know. <laughs> Come back up. You can move into our house. It's a two-bedroom. You'll love it. <laughs> yeah, that'd be great. Okay. Uh, well, thanks a lot. I'm yeah. so happy you guys are doing well, considering. Oh, yeah. I'm glad you guys are doing good, too. And, uh, yeah, when things get halfway normal, maybe I'll see you. Yes, please. I'd love All right. it. Cool. <laughs> All right. Thanks again, Laura. Yeah, thank you, guys. Well, that was fun. Oh, yeah. As you knew it would be. Yeah, she's great. I knew she was self-conscious about talking so much about babies and breast milk, but, like, so what's going on? And we really need to normalize breastfeeding. I learned through my wife's experience how many people are still, like, give you fucking dirty looks Ugh. for doing it at, like, a park or, like, some. And, you know, going through this process, I'm like, is there anything in the world that could be more natural than that. Right. Like the thing that you just, you know, like come the fuck on. It's literally a baby getting the food to survive yeah. and you somehow deem it lewd. Like yeah. it's insanity. Now you want to, you want to see God. This is the closest you get. You know what I mean? Exactly. Yeah. hundred so percent, man. It, it's perverse. It's only in this fucking country. I mean, I'm sure that there's like, you know, third world countries that are got issues with everything, but yeah, it's I mean, tricky. I'm not willing I mean, to speak on that. I know in France it's probably better. But I mean, you know, <laughs> you can, you can, you can, well, you can show a person putting a gun in their mouth on TV here in the states, but you can't oh, show yeah. a woman breastfeeding. I know. Just yeah. like, just look at that objectively. If you can, like, look at it like an alien from another planet, it just is so fucked up. <laughs> or I could watch somebody like mow down a hundred human lives, yeah. but I can't listen to you say shit. <laughs> you know, like. Uh, Doesn't, I mean, and shit is another biological thing that we shouldn't be so ashamed of. Like, what are you going to do? You know, people are crazy. Everybody you know does it. You know, what's scaring me a little, Brad, is I smell a cigarette right now, but my house is totally closed up. Mm, that's weird. So I've had that experience this, before. This might be the last time you speak to me. You get, you get a brain tumor? <laughs> no, it's cigarette. There's a cigarette man in my house waiting for me. Oh, jeez. Well, maybe you more, should leave. Oh, wait. Your head went to brain tumor? Mine went to somebody in my house smoking a cigarette. Oh, How does smelling a cigarette mean you have a brain tumor? No, Is that a thing? There's something if you have a tumor that you, have, <laughs> you smell odd smells. I don't know if it's I, specifically cigarette or if it's a specific smell, but that's part of it. The cigarette thing I don't mind as much because I used to smoke and sometimes I even smell it. And I'm like... Mm. And I kind of, you know, almost want one. Yeah. You know what gets me is charcoal briquettes on a grill. Like if someone's grilling with right. charcoal right. and that's going into my house, I, I have a flashback. I used to live in this apartment complex with my mom and there was a guy, White Trash Jimmy. And White Trash Jimmy had a, a van that he converted to have this crazy sound system in. And he used to make me go into it and listen to Rush records. <laughs> like, this is real. <laughs> Jimmy was a real piece it of work. Sounds like my childhood, dude. I know, I know. <laughs> listen, there's a lot of similarities between a white trash apartment complex in Jersey and whatever country Middle bumpkin live in you grew up in. Yeah. <laughs> And then uh, and Jimmy, though, you know, he lived literally one apartment over from us on the same floor and uh, used to just go out in the weekends with this little circular right. charcoal grill. I don't even think he was cooking half the time, but the smoke just right into my house all day long. 
And I was a little freaked out about Jimmy, so I couldn't say anything, you know? Right. Yeah. I was just, eh. Where's what Jimmy now? Oh, my God. He got kicked out. So one night, we hadn't seen Jimmy for a couple weeks. He actually wasn't supposed to live there. He lived, it was a low-income housing unit. And, you know, there are one, two, three bedroom places and you weren't supposed to have more humans in there than you needed. So if you had the one apartment, there was only supposed to be one person there. So it was actually Jimmy's girlfriend who owned the place and Jimmy was just kind of squatting it, you know. Um, And we hadn't seen him for a couple weeks and middle of the night. All everybody, the whole apartment, like starts waking up because Jimmy is drunk as fuck, pounding on his girlfriend's door, going crazy, pulling some classic white trash shit. And me at that time, I had already had some problems with him, and I was feeling uh, like I needed to like defend like my mom and stuff. So I grab a golf club and start walking out the front door to like confront drunk Jimmy, <laughs> and. Uh, not a good idea. Not a fucking... <laughs> in, in hindsight, I'm like, oh my God, dude. And luckily for me, my upstairs neighbor, very nice guy named Joe Lella, is a HVAC guy. He repaired air conditioning and right. had a couple kids, stand-up dude. He's walking down at the same time, just grabs me by the shirt and just doesn't say anything, just went, no. Nope. <laughs> just shook his head, no. Basically, like, just tossed me back into my apartment and he... <laughs> And he went and handled Jimmy and then and then literally disappeared from my life. Never seen the guy again. So that's what happened to white trash Jimmy. I don't know how he how he wound up. <laughs> but good thing I didn't go out there with that golf club. That yeah, could have gotten ugly for me. Could have really yeah. gotten bad. And I wasn't tough. I was very chubby. You know, I was just trying to take care of business. So, you know, it wasn't a good way out of that one, Benny. No, yeah. One yeah. of you was going to die. <laughs> You're not thinking straight in that situation, you know? I was little. I shouldn't have been making those decisions. Good for you for being a man and standing up for your, for your mom. Uh, but at least Joe is around. Respect to Joe Lella. Good guy. Thanks, Joe. Yeah, good. Appreciate that. So where, where were we even going with this? Um, so I interviewed Laura and then uh, started talking about white trash Jimmy. I guess that's how but, it goes. Um, Going so off track, right? She obviously, I mean, for, for our for our longtime fans, they know that she's kind of part of the family. She's done um, some yeah. live episodes. And I would say go back and, and do a search and listen to the old episodes that she did with us because um, they're all yeah. really good. She's always great. And, uh, she's, on, uh, she's, she's on that live episode 300, right? She's the first yeah. interview before Brian Baker and yeah. Blake. And we have her, you know, we have an episode of her solo. I feel like she might have done an earlier live episode, too. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, yeah. Yeah, they're and, all good. And, and that's why I didn't bring up. She has a really fascinating story with her grandparents and their, you know, connection to the music industry and stuff. But I remember asking about it quite a bit in that episode 300. Right. So I didn't want to get too into it here. So it would be good to revisit. But Laura's awesome. Definitely check out The Big Freeze that record is amazing, and uh, and the split with with Jeff doing Neil Young songs is also. Fun. I gotta check that out. I don't even yeah. know about that one. Yeah, it's cool. It's that sounds cool. great. It's just a nice, fun project. Yeah, and uh, she is at just Laura Stevenson on Twitter, Laura Stevenson on Instagram. 
And yeah, go buy her records and go see her because she's awesome. Um, do we have any? Are we going to hawk ourselves now? Still get the Patreon. <laughs> go patreon.com slash going off track. Um, I'm not going to say anymore. Check it out. If you want to throw us some bucks, if you want to become a part of the club, the uh, going off track army or whatever you want to call it. Oh, uh, <laughs> but you need, um, a cool, you need a cool catchphrase, Brad. And we're, <laughs> and we're at Venmo at off track. If you want to throw us a tip. Um, and thanks to everybody who has, we get, yeah, we get, it seems like we it. get a new, we get new fans every week. So that's great. And it's, yeah. it'll be used. I'm going to get Benny a, a new mic. Don't worry. Yeah. Brad keeps complaining gonna, about the fact that I'm wearing earbuds and recording into my little task cam here. I'm going to get so. you, I'm going to get you a, uh, one of those, those headset mics like the announcers use on football. Oh, so I could be like. A uh, backup dancer in a Janet Jackson yeah, Rhythm yeah, Nation yeah. video. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's all I get to say. How about you? Yeah, that's great. I love everybody. Thanks for listening. Um, take care of each other out there. Buy Laura's music. And uh, yeah, we'll see you for the next one. See you next week. Woo!